1: Well, hello, 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 I am Matt Williams, this is the Locked On NFL Podcast. I've been telling you for a little while that we have a Senior Bowl guest, I haven't told you who it's going to be, springing it on you, he uh, is somebody that now I'm starting to work with closely, I mentioned I am now uh, with NDT Scouting, kind of as their director of pro personnel, and Jonah Tulls is one of their top scouts and someone I've been turned on to lately does exceptional work in the scouting world. Jonah, what is up, brother?
0: Thanks, Matt, for the introduction, and I'm just so happy to be on the show, man.
1: Yeah, let's spend two minutes and tell everyone a little bit of your backstory, Twitter. By the way, I'm working, I got a a mission. I'm trying to get Jonah up to 10,000 Twitter followers. We've we've been pretty good about bulking that number up of late, but you got to (laughs) go follow him on Twitter. What's your Twitter account, and how'd you get kind of get started in this biz, and what have you been doing?
0: Yeah, man. So you can follow me at uh, Jonah Tulse NFL. You know, just hit up that Twitter. And so, like, my backstory is more just like I've always loved football, played football as in high school. Mm-hmm. I was offered a couple of scholarships to play college football, but I instead pursued journalism in college. So it's it's just all about like just the passion for the game, and just keep following, keep pursuing. I've been writing since I was like fifteen years old, so I've, this is always what I wanted to do, and now I'm at you know the senior bowl so it's always been a dream of mine to do yeah very very cool um where'd you grow up i actually grew up in fresno california okay moved out to more like the eastern new mexico west texas area and now like lubbock texas the texas tech at university area so like yeah man all about texas all about them dallas cowboys all right okay you know you probably know i'm I'm a steelers
1: guy so they have a yeah when i was a kid the the cowboys were hated that was the 70s and you were taught that the raiders and the (laughs) cowboys the two teams you hate But, (laughs) you are at the Senior Bowl now. Um, Is this your first year being there, or have you been there a couple years before?
0: Yes, sir. This is my first year in Mobile. It's been quite the experience.
1: Yeah, it's a blast. I'm jealous. I haven't been there in, I don't know, eight years or so, but I've probably been there five times or so. And there's a lot to learn. And one thing I tell people, like, I was there when Jay Cutler was coming out, and seeing him throw live is a heck of a lot different than watching Vanderbilt tape back then. You know, I mean, I'm sure the same was true with Josh Allen absolutely which of course leads me I don't want to harp on the quarterbacks but <laughs> let's talk Baker and Allen quickly Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen quickly they were the big story it's been beat to death this week this week for senior bowl coverage but give me your impressions
0: yeah so I think the top quarterback was Baker Mayfield I think people want to see that duo that battle between Mayfield and Allen Mayfield stepping off the bus you know you know, just coming in a little late, Josh Allen having the press conference, hyping up his you know, abilities to kind of Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers. Kind of, the hype was real. And you yeah, see yeah, Mayfield yeah. and Allen get off on the same team in the warm up throwing passes side by side. To me, Mayf- yeah, Mayfield was the best quarterback and wasn't even close. I mean, until the last very last day where Allen really slung the ball really well, um, it just wasn't close at all. Mayfield was on with pinpoint accuracy at all three levels of the field, making good decisions with the ball in 7-on-7s. Allen was kind of just the opposite, just throwing balls into the dirt, didn't really make great decisions. He was throwing balls into heavy traffic over the middle. Um, Linebacker was able to pick him off. Um, I just feel like Mayfield was just the better quarterback. I think the Broncos coaching staff, you know, the team that coached these guys, Mm -hmm. they need a quarterback at that top five spot. And I think Mayfield left a better impression than Josh Allen, even though Josh Allen showed, like, you know, you you talk about Drew Color, you're watching him live, watching these guys with big arms live is a different experience. We see him just. The ball comes out of their hands just a different way. But just the accuracy just wasn't there for Allen until the third day. We'll see how he picks it up, though.
1: Yeah, and I warn people who haven't done this long that accuracy at a senior bowl environment is don't go too crazy on that. I mean, right. I mean, it's different if, you know, but I know he wasn't, that's one of the knocks on him coming in. But right, you got the
0: chemistry to the timing.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's never played with these guys. You know, I mean, he doesn't know how fast these receivers are, but I mean, it's different if you're air airmailing them over the into the sidelines and things. Um mm-hmm. I guess two little questions about these two and I watched all 15 hours of the senior bowl coverage on NFL Network and it's not the same as being there, of course, and I've read everything I can. But it sounded like some buzz was Mayfield seemed to really inspire those around him. Have the energy that you expect. And Allen also looked to me like he made some throws that went, you know, that your jaw just hits the floor. Like, whoa.
0: Yeah. So when you watch Mayfield, in the, you know, like the warm-ups, and even in the 7-on-7s, he's always trying to hi- – he's always high-fiving the offensive line, mm-hmm. always giving the wire series a dab, dab up afterwards. And he's always just always hyped up, always looking for his teammates. Um, even, if the, even if he drops the pass. He always goes there to console them. He's like, hey, I got your back. I'll get you the next one. So Mayfield, you can see he's a natural leader. He's a natural teammate. And you see why he seems Oklahoma loved him. And it's not manufactured. That's who he is. Yes. And Okoronko even talked about in the media day, saying that, you know, even when he talked, Oklahoma was a captain in Oklahoma as well. And even when Mayfield was talking talking in the locker room, it would give him goosebumps. Hmm. So you could could just tell how natural leader uh, Mayfield is. Then Josh Allen, too. I feel like when Josh Allen was was if you, you pick his handful of throws in the practices, you say, "Wow, that's yeah. the number one overall draft pick." Because you can see how tight on a rope he throws; he's a like thirty-yard passes into the corner end zone. It's like unbelievable throws. But then you take his, you know, other other handful of throws, and he's like, "I mean, can I even draft this guy before day three? So <laughs> right. it's yeah, it's it's just a big. It, there's going to be a big debate on Josh Allen, whether you know the old scouts who value those big-time traits, or the guys who are going to value the Baker Mayfield. So you know what? I'll take a safe route. Again, we're talking about
1: these guys longer than I wanted, but my last take on them, and I don't know the answer, but I do know some people that have told me that are in the league and know things that the NFL likes Josh Allen more than Draft Twitter does. And I could yeah, that. you know, I could see that. And then my other thing about Mayfield. I love the enthusiasm and all those things, but it's different when you get to the league and you're firing up a 30-year-old guard that's been in the league for eight years and has $20 million in the bank and has three kids.
0: Yeah, I think, I think you said just perfectly right. What happens with Allen is I think you're like, the scouts are going to value him higher because they see the traits, they see the arm strength, see the arm talent, the way he puts the, the ball in the corner end zone. I mean, the ball just comes out of his hand some, in, in a way that no one else can throw it. I mean, you see Josh Allen make these passes, you know, 60 yards down the field and across the hash. I mean, you just don't see this. But, I mean, the accuracy is going to – people are going to say, well, you know, his accuracy, is completion percentage, and I agree with it. I think that when you look at his 58 – below 6 percent completion percentage, you, if you're not accurate in college, you don't get accurate in the NFL. It's a fact. And then when you look at Baker Mayfield – I think people are going to be concerned with the size. We look at the scouts. Mm-hmm. I think the coaches are going to love him. When we look at the scouts and look at his size, and they just don't see it. They, they're going to be a little rattled by his six foot. They're going to be scared off. But if I were a team, I would be comfortable taking top ten. I would not be comfortable taking Josh Allen top ten. However.
1: I mean, obviously, when they walk in the room, they don't look like they play the same position. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. Allen's a prototype. And, and speaking of prototypes, let's move on to running backs. There's two guys I wanted to bring up: Kalen Bellage who I wasn't super excited about coming into this and right. he wasn't used as a receiver much, but he looked like a better, more natural receiver than I would have guessed, but he looks the part. I'm curious your thoughts on him and a guy that I'm really intrigued with and can't wait to learn more about. And I have really high hopes for is Jalen Samuels from NC state. I mean, fullback tight end, big back. I think he could be a really consistent contributor. And, and I think he caught like over 200 passes at NC state.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I think that just to touch from Belage first, Kaitlin Belage. When you look at him at Arizona State, I mean, it, you look at his junior season. I thought it was much better than his senior year. But then when you go back to then look at his, uh, when he in Mobile this week, he looks like a, just a special route runner at, the, at a running back position. When he gets on the backfield and beats these line. He beat these linebackers up this week. And a lot of the linebackers, I know they're a little stiff. It's not a great linebacker group. But he looked like a natural receiver out there with good hands. You know, much fluidity on his breaks. He looked like a real three-down threat here. And it would be really interesting to see you know, how the film you know, at Arizona State, the, then you get the film at Mobile, how people are going to value him uh, at the next level. Then to touch on Samuels, you know, the NC State guy, man, he is a natural receiver too. You touch a, almost 200 balls caught his career at NC State. I mean, this guy's going to have production, and the trade matches production as a receiver. Really natural uh, hands. Uh, again, good route runner. He's really manipulative as a receiver, and I think he has those tr- true receiver qualities. I could see a team you know, using him as kind of like a matchup piece. I, yeah, compared right. him to kind of like, I compared him to like Trey Burton from the Eagles almost. If the team wants to move him like a tight end little slot guy, um, made some H-back. But yeah, I could see him playing special teams and getting some early, uh, early third-down success you know, when he gets to the next level.
1: Yeah, I don't want to compare him to David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell. But if right. you're that size and you catch the ball that well and you can be used in that many ways, like I'm sitting here in Pittsburgh and I've been saying all along, they should use the third or fourth round pick on a guy to maybe replace Bell a year from now and to spell him because right. he's had such a workload. Like, I could see him being that guy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't blame you either. I mean, you're always looking for guys who can do many things. Mm-hmm. In the league now where it's a matchup league, you're looking at guys who can run the ball. you can look at guys who can catch the ball, play special teams. You want guys who can line up in a slot, line up in the backfield. You want guys who can just—it's like positionless football. And I think that he's one of those players that fits that kind of mold.
1: Yeah, I mean, a trend in the league that's coming on like a tidal wave is—it's you know, quarterback struggle in this league. Being a quarterback's hard, but mm-hmm. the easiest completions I think nowadays are running backs to linebackers. You know, McCaffrey, right. Kamara, right. those type of guys. And even if Samuels isn't dynamic, is McCaffrey or Kamara you split them out wide and a big goofy middle linebacker follows them that's mm-hmm. an easy completion
0: yeah I mean you're always trying to take advantage of those one-on-one uh, matchups right I mean you look at a guy like um you know say you play against the Cowboys you on Anthony Hitchens he's winning that route all day long yeah right so, right. It, so you're always looking for advantageous matchups and I think Jalen Samuels is, a, is really a good fit in today's NFL
1: um feel free to bring up any other names these are just some highlight guys that are interesting me Wide receiver position, from what I understand, and I guess this really doesn't shock anyone going into it, he was a pretty big-name guy, that James yeah. James Washington was the best of the crop uh, on either team. And then two guys I wanted to bring up, too, were Cedric Wilson from Boise State and Deshaun Hamilton from Penn State, who was a late ad that tore it up at the Shrine game. He looks like a really good route runner.
0: Yeah, I think the three names you mentioned were the best receivers there. Um, mm-hmm. James Washington first. I think what he needed to prove in Mobile was that he was the number one receiver there, and he needed to separate himself as that. And he did just that. Um, when you look at him, he dominated him. He dominated every corner facing in the one-on-one matchups. It was a speed explosion or with quickness you know, over the middle or on an out or on a dig. He just looked very explosive. He looked like a playmaker, and really no corner could guard him. So he, I think he really separated himself as the number one guy. I'm going to touch on the other two names. What's your and, hunch on Washington's 40 times? Oh, man, I I think he's going to be somewhere between 4'4 and 4'5. I think it's somewhere in there. Uh, He's not a burner. No, but I think he's like that golden take kind of guy, you know, 5'10, 5'11, thick body guy who's great after the catch. Tough to get on the ground, yeah. Right. Um, Yes. Wilson and Hamilton. Yeah, so Cedric Wilson, I think when you look at him, I think he was the most improved player down there throughout the week. Early in the week, he was struggling with press coverage. Really, he's kind of a thin-frame, long-and-lanky kind of guy. doesn't like contact. Um, can kind guy get redirected to the sideline pretty easily. But then when he's an off-man coverage, he can really eat up space real quick. He makes his cornerback make a decision because when he eats up that much space with long strides and the corner's just waiting for him, he either has to the corner either has to lunge aggressively, and he'll take advantage of that lunge and go with a dig or a post and beat him. Or he'll make he'll make the corner play catch man and force him to be a reactionary player, which will make the corner have to use his quickness to get in front of him, and usually that didn't happen. Cedric Wilson was able to win a lot of ways against off covers. coverage. His unpredictable really route-running skill set was a big problem with his wide receivers, and he continued to get better against press coverage as the week went along. So I think he's going to be one of the really interesting names we see here in the coming months.
1: Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about both those guys. I'm not saying either one of them's a number one receiver, but I mean, can they be the Robert Woods? Can they be, you know, a a quality contributor for a long time?
0: Yeah, I think James Washington could be one of those guys where, you know, he's never going to be that guy who's just going to take over games as a number one guy. But if you use him as a good secondary option, man, that guy could be special, a good deep threat. Cedric Wilson, same kind of thing. Um, You're not going to rely on him as a number one kind of elite guy. But secondary role as a Z or even an X, he can do it.
1: Two tight ends. I, I, You know, I'm in Pittsburgh and I've watched some Penn State. And I watched Mike Gusecki. And I thought he looked better now than then. You know, like maybe he was right. playing with an ankle or something we don't know about during the season. Or maybe he's been training differently since their season ended. Or maybe he's happened to have a really good week. But he looked a lot more athletic, smoother, faster than I remember watching game tape. And these are young people. They can change. And the other name that I feel like no one's talking about, but the more research I do on him, I can, I can see him having a dramatically better NFL career than college career is the Smythe kid from Notre Dame.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Gusecki, I think when you look at his tape, you saw a linear kind of guy. You touched on it. You didn't see like that fluidity. You saw a more stiff kind of guy yeah. who could really stretch the defense vertically on those post routes, those nines. But at the Senior Bowl, no linebacker or safety could guard this guy. This guy's routes were like much more nuanced than I thought they were. It was a dig, an out, or just a little out and up. This guy really manipulated these court, his safeties and these linebackers and one-on-one coverage. And you could see more a little hip fluidity, hip flexion, those, those uh, in-breaking routes. You see his feet, the quicker feet than I thought he did. And, but Kiseki, yeah, I think Gusecki helped himself a lot this week. And my colleague Joe Marino loved what he did this week. And he mentioned him as one of the riders and one of the pieces we did for NDT scouting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Giseki, one of the big winners for me, big riser. And then you touched on Durham Smythe. Um, I thought he was one of the best blockers coming in this week. And you look at him, he's a little stiff as an athlete, stiff receiver. Um, he's not he's not gonna burn you over the middle. But what he can do is he can give you that occasional, you know, you know, twenty yard gain over the middle as a vertical route. But I don't think he's ever gonna be able to win with his fluidity over the middle or like on those nuanced routes. But he can what he can do is He can block for you. He's a good early down guy, and he can always give that little 20-yard, 30-yard occasional vertical threat.
1: When we go to the big dudes, Hernandez and Wynn look like, you know, pick 20 to 40 range. You know how there's all, yeah. You know, like the first guard that most years you get a great guard at the beginning of the second round or at the end Mm -hmm. of the first. Those two look like rocks to me, and they have different type of games. Do you agree that they're, you know, Plug and play. I mean, they're starting NFL talents. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think they both helped their stock a ton this week. See, with Hernandez, Hernandez has got that King Kong vice grip hand strength to where, like, if you like, if he gets his hands on you, you aren't moving. I think the problem with her exactly—he's a nasty finisher, really physical, one of the strongest dudes here. But I I think you mocked him to Jacksonville, which I love. Yes, and see, that's the thing. Jacksonville with their power gap—they're going to have Cam Robinson the left. And then They'll have Cameron's on the left of him, and they have uh, Brandon Linder on the right. Mm-hmm. So it, it, the left side will cave defenses in the run game. I think he's a perfect fit for Jacksonville. Then Isaiah Wynn, uh, you talk about him from Georgia. He played with a torn labrum in his shoulder the whole week. He's not going to play in the game, but he tore his shoulder against he he surgery. He's going to be out for the comp and everything. But he was absolutely dominant this week with the shoulder injury. And he was just stonewalling dudes all week. I think he had a shaky first day because he switched from tackle to guard, a little bit of adjustment period. But when you look at the second and third day, no one was getting by him in the pass protection one-on-ones. And the one-on-one run-fit drills, he was absolutely dominated with his hand strength. I really like Wynn and Hernandez in the back end of the first round. And I know Cowboys fans don't want to talk about it, but with Jonathan Cooper's uncertainty going forward, mm-hmm. if, I were, if I was wiped out, I think I would consider it either Winner or Hernandez at 19.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with that either. Um, three other linemen. We mentioned Nasty. This Alex Kappa from Humboldt State. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> you you didn't watch the coverage, but they'd show his clips. I mean, he's just throwing dudes out of the bar left and right. I mean, nasty on tape. Shouldn't be playing at Humboldt State, obviously. Right. <laughs> um, Brent Toth was another one that, at Army. He yeah. seemed like an impressive player as well. That came getting better. And then mm-hmm. Austin Corbett is a guy from what I have seen would love to have because he he played all right. five positions here maybe comes in as your sixth guy and develops into a long-time starter
0: wherever you need him. Right. Yeah, so the first guy, Alex Kappa, man, this guy is one of the most dominant players here in Mobile this week. And you look at the you look at the best players here in Mobile, they come from the most obscure places. I mean, Humboldt State, I mean, I don't think I've ever heard of Humboldt State before learning about Alex Kappa. This guy was one of the best pass blockers. great technician. He knows how he uses his feet. And I think a lot of the hype went to Brian O'Neill from Pittsburgh. Alex Kappa is what people wanted Brian O'Neill to be. Yeah, right. So, so I think Alex Cabot really helped himself. And I think if you want him, you're going to have to take him in the second round. I think he was that good, and he helped him suck that much in Mobile. And the other guy, Austin Corbett. Yeah, I've been harping on this guy for a long time. This guy is a guy who played all five positions on the offensive line. He did for Nav- Nevada, and he did for Mobile. I mean, he-, he walked into Mobile, and he does a rep against Marcus Davenport at right tackle and buries him to the ground. Then the next play goes into center and buries Puna Ford, the guy from Texas, on two consecutive plays with two consecutive pancakes. I mean, this guy is versatile, he plays all over offensive line, and he does a really good production and good efficiency. I think you could take him in the top 50 and feel great about it. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
1: All right, let's talk some defense. And I knew nothing about Andrew Brown from Virginia before this week. And I guess ESPN had him as the top defensive line recruit in the nation. Then he goes to Virginia, and he's asked a two-gap, and now he comes here, and they say, go get him. Sick him. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if he's – I mean, I know this sounds extreme, but I wonder if he's Fletcher Cox. I mean, I think there's a lot of ability I don't disagree. Wow. I do not. I thought I was going on a limb there.
0: No, and and you're not, because like you just mentioned, you played the five technique, a little bit of two-gap role in Virginia, and then when he goes to Mobile – he gets he's he's playing a, a role where he's a one gap penetrating three technique. He has to get up field and get up to the quarterback and get up quickly with his injury. Quick, initial get off is insane. Yeah. Look at his first step, really quick, really talented. I mean, he's, he's a top recruit, one of the best talents in the entire nation. So when you look at him, I think Virginia used him horribly wrong, playing that two gap role. And then senior bowl, the coaches realized that and said, okay, we're gonna try him in that little Grady Jarrett kind of role. Yeah. You know make him go upfield. And I really don't think the Fletcher Cox uh, comparison is all that off. I don't think he's that kind of player in terms of the run support and with his hands right now. But when you look at the talent, you look at the potential, this guy could be one of those kind of guys. And I wouldn't be surprised if he – he has 35-inch arms. A defensive tackle, but his size, it's crazy. He's one of the really interesting possibly a unique kind of guy – I think if he has a good combine, he could sneak into the first round. I uh, would not be surprised if he's one of the most productive defensive linemen in this class.
1: Yeah, I mean, you get him with a really good defensive line coach uh, late in the first round on a contender, you know, and two years from now he's in the Pro Bowl, you know, like... Oh, you know, absolutely. He has that look about him. Um, another defensive tackle really grew on me, and I heard the, uh, the Kyle Williams comparison to Phillips, and I love that comparison. I mean, nasty heavyweight wrestler type that you don't want to fight in the trenches. You know, I, I liked what I saw from Phillips.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people love the wrestler background with Harrison Phillips. You can see that with the with leverage he plays with. He uses leverage really well, pad level, good. I mean, when you look at him, I think a lot of people are brought in by, you know, what what is flash plays. And they look at the production, the 100 – or so tackles you know the most tackles by defense tackle in the se- this season but i don't think he offers as much passage potential as a lot of these guys are saying in terms of putting him in the first round of mock drafts i think there are other defense tackles that can that can offer more value that spot. Mm-hmm. I, I think i i like harrison Phillips, but i don't like him to where he's going i think i'd rather take him more in the late day two range because i think that's where he belongs but People having him in the first round, I think they're looking at him and looking at his flash plays. So, oh, well, let's try to catch that. Let's try to get, let's catch that you know, in a bottle. But I just don't think he's as consistent as his run fits and his discipline to be that kind of player.
1: It surprises me that he'd be considered a first-round pick. I love them with the, right. the view of this is a third-rounder that will come in and play. And... Exactly, and that's yeah. what I have. Yeah, okay. Uh, then I think we're on board there. Some other big dudes I want to talk about. Um, I know everyone's opinion at NDT on Marcus Davenport, but I think we need to discuss him. Mm-hmm. Everyone, you know, people talked about him being a top 10 pick, a top 15 pick. I've seen right. him mocked at Tampa Bay early in the draft. Obviously, he's a beautiful-looking specimen from Texas, San Antonio. From all accounts, he did nothing, and then Thursday, he started tossing people all around.
0: Yeah, so the thing with Marcus Davenport is he looks the part of a defensive end. I mean, yeah. you just look at him 6'5", 259, the weigh-ins, there's a lot of oohs and ahs in the crowd because you look at him, the muscular build is the physical freak that he looks like. He looks like a guy that can you know, get off the edge and get 10 sacks free. But when he got to Mobile, it was almost like a big disappointment. You're like, oh, like, right. do that better. Do this better because you see, the, you see the traits. You see the guy. You see his explosives, see his speed to power. But you don't see him put it all out there on the field yet. I think he's still raw with his technique, doesn't know what to do with his hands yet, pad levels all over the place. Um, he, just, he really just has no moves other than just trying to bull rush you or get around you. So I, I really don't see the hype with Davenport. I know that's kind of the consensus here at NDT. You know, you, you see a top 10 pick in the mock draft. You know, Tom McShay has him in his top 15. It's just like we don't know where to go with Marcus Davenport. But I think if... The right, value, the right value for Marcus Davenport is if you can get him in the late second, early third round, I would love it. But the price, of admission, the price of admission on this kid is going to be in the top 20, and I just can't do it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, two other dudes. You had mentioned... <laughs> Oklahoma's uh, rocker Ramro, I didn't say that right That's for sure And, and uh, The Rutgers edge dude Jumped off the right. screen To me too Kamoko Tore. I mean Right This guy's gotta be Skyrocketing upwards Right now
0: Right so Ogbonia Okoronkwo nice. is the, the guy. Yes, the guy, from, the edge rusher from Oklahoma. I thought he had a really nice week, and he went up against Tyrell Crosby, the tackle from Oregon, a ton. And I thought he was the best tackle, not named Alex Kappa, all week. And he gave him some fits. He was really the only one to give him some fits on the edge. He got him a couple inside moves. He's a really, I think he's a smart edge rusher. as a passer. He rushes with a to the plan. Sometimes he gives it away too quickly. He doesn't sell his spins enough, but he has his juice to get around the edge, and he has the hands to play with leverage. I think he has the activeness to be a violent player at the next level. And th- I think the biggest thing for Okoronko this week wasn't even wasn't even on the practice field. I think it was him measuring at 34 inches with his arm length, because if he didn't measure him at that 34 inch arm length, I think teams would try to move him off ball. But I think just so I'm glad you brought that
1: up because I'm wondering it, can he be James Harrison now? You know, I mean, I know he's yeah. short, but that doesn't mean he can't play a leverage guy, and those long arms help, and maybe he adds. Five ten pounds of muscle and gets even stouter.
0: Yeah, I think the best fit for him is definitely a three four, where he can definitely he doesn't have to put his hand on the ground and just go in there and get a head start and get there going off the edge because his burst and juice is special. I think he can be a guy who can be a ten sack guy going forward. I just don't know. I, I just I just don't know if he's gonna be able to put his hand down in a four three and be able to hold off against the run against right, those kind right. of teams. But you mentioned Kamoko Toure. I think a lot of people in the NTT staff like him. You know, Kyle Krabs wrote a good piece about him uh, the other day about his hand technique and how he was able to rush off the edge. Um, he's, he was one of the biggest risers this week. And you know, you, you look at guys like Marcus Davenport and Harrison Phillips, all these guys getting first round hype. But the guy who should be getting first round hype is Kamoko Toure. I mean, this guy has this guy's always had first round untapped talent, but and then he finally shows it. And I'm just really interested to see what's going to happen in the coming weeks leading up to the Combine, seeing where the hype is going to be on this kid. Is it going to be overhyped like the Davenport kid, or is he going to be a little under the radar and he has to show out in the Combine? Because this guy has first-round talent. I just think we didn't see it at Rutgers enough because it was, he was kind of held back. He wasn't really playing to his potential. But at Mobile, he showed the flashes all three days. And it's like, if he can string that up in the NFL, he's going to be a 10 sec guy at the next level.
1: And unlike somebody like Davenport, I could see Ture – Running down on kickoffs, you know, like helping right. in a lot of facets as he learns. Would it shock
0: you if he ran a four five eight? Absolutely not. I think okay. that should be the over under frame. Honestly, okay. I think he can. I think he can run four five five. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he runs four six five. I think as long as he runs somewhere in that kind of range, he's going to skyrocket up upwards.
1: We have to talk about Shaq Griffin from Central Florida. He doesn't have yeah. a left hand, and he has, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, for those who don't know this story. Look it up, it's unbelievable, and he's a really good player. And unlike dudes that play with a club or whatever that are injured, Griffin hasn't had a left hand ever as a football player. So, you know, I mean, it's not a new thing. He's obviously adapted. He's not here for to be a good story. He's here because he's a legitimate prospect. I saw him lined up everywhere from edge to free safety and everywhere in between. Yep. Crazy. Yep. Yeah, he can yeah, run.
0: He crazy. And the teams want to know what they can do with this guy. And I think he can do it all. I, you look at him playing the edge. You look at him playing off-ball. And he was even playing center fielder. You even mentioned it, he was playing center fielder in some seven-on-seven seven snaps. It was crazy. But when you look at him, they're trying to test him. And they're trying to test how he uses his hand. Because you look in the one-on-ones against the tight ends, they deliberately threw it to the right side on those little out routes of the running backs to see how he would use his outside hand where he doesn't have a hand to defend against some of those passes. And even though some of them were incompletions, it would have been caught if the ball was a good throw. So they are trying to test him, and you could see the limitations it has. But you mentioned it, the closing speed. This guy is excellent all over athleticism. The place, yeah. He's a blur. I mean, there's a reason why these guys were playing – uh, these coaches were playing at free safety. This guy can run. This guy has legit athleticism. And I think at worst, Phil Sider's put it right. He's a special teams demon. He can get up right. down the field, and that's me especially valuable to some of these teams because – I mean, especially teams wins games at some, in some of these uh, contests, and I think he's going to be a difference maker at that point of the game. And I think he can end up being a guy like a Sam, like a guy who can rush the pass on third down and kind of just you know offer that kind of closing speed side on the sideline every 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 uh, few or so plays.
1: Yeah, and I think less than ever in my life, it matters what it, it matters less what position these guys are pigeonholed as. You know, just get him on the field and match him up against Tyler Eifert or, you know, or James White right. or, you know, or rush the passer not, boy, what are we going to call him? What meeting room is he going to go to? I don't care about that stuff anymore as much. Um, one more note on him just because he's such an, an extreme case. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's curious to me, not that he doesn't have a hand, but when they show closeups of him, it's the first time I'd ever really seen him. Clearly his left arm and I would imagine his left pec and shoulder and all those things aren't as developed as his right. Like, right. how does he bench? You know, like, how does he <laughs> – I, I wasn't worried about tackling and catching the football. I'm thinking, like, how does he work out? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not saying you know that answer. I just want to throw it out there to our audience while we have – what was on my noodle. Um, <laughs> two other linebackers that looked like they were impressive too, small school guys, South Carolina mm-hmm. State, Leonard, North mm-hmm. Dakota State, DeLuca. Mm-hmm. Like yeah guy?
0: so yeah so Darius Leonard to me I think when you look at him early in the week he struggled I think it was a bit of adjustment period for him small school guy playing against bigger school running backs bigger school tight ends it's the speed of the game was a little quicker for him in the first couple of days then the third day he kind of settled down he was kind of he was better in coverage better pursuing the ball you see that kind of player you see on film sideline sideline guy good range good man coverage guy is that I, Leonard you're talking st-
1: about, or is that DeLuca? Yes, the, Leonard, yeah,
0: okay. Leonard from South Carolina State. Yeah. Yeah, he's a small school guy. Um, yeah, just trouble getting off early, rough start, but I think he finished off the week with some momentum, and we'll see what he does going into the combine.
1: And, and needless to say, if a kid from South Carolina State has a rough Tuesday at the Senior Bowl, I don't hold it against right. him, Bill, that much.
0: Right. Yeah, I think the same thing goes for DeLuca from North Dakota State. Um, you look at him the first couple of days, too. And he was getting burned left and right by these running backs. Just didn't really know how to handle their speed. Um, just didn't look like a guy who can really play in space in his range. And then you look at the third day, I think he looked a lot better with the instincts, a lot better you know, anticipating those routes. He felt like he, he was also one of those guys who started to get it going on day three, um, picking off Josh Allen, all this kind of stuff. Um, I thought he had a much better uh, third day as well. And, again, we'll see what he does at the combine with this kind of momentum.
1: Okay. And two defensive backs from tiny schools I wanted to bring up, too. Georgia State, Sullivan, and mm-hmm. I know you have a guy from Alabama State you want to kind of spring on the world.
0: Yeah, so so we have Chandon Sullivan. Chandon Sullivan is a guy, you know, Georgia State, we, we look at his film, he's only 5'10", 5", plays on the outside. Um, senior will play him a little bit at nickel, but he may plays on the outside for a Georgia State um, patient kind of guy. Patient, smart, instinctive. That's what you like him, really anticipative anticipated um, the way he plays. And good route recognition. Um, Stay on top of routes. I think one thing you don't want him to do, you don't want to play press coverage, getting physical receivers. He's just not really that strong right now. Um, I just don't think he has that kind of aggressiveness, physicality to his game yet. But if you give him a situation with jump balls and like he's at the catch point, he has some of the best ball skills in his draft, and knowing how, when, and where to attack the ball in the air. It's just really special the way he does it. And I think he can be a top 100 guy if he shows as well as he did. Uh, here at the combine where he runs like a four, four, five. So I think he can, he has a smoothness. He has a foot quickness. I think he can get there. And if he does, he can end up being a top 100 pick.
1: I like it, man. There's many more dudes we could talk about. Maybe I'll we'll have you back next week or definitely somebody from NDT to kind of talk about the game and some other guys we didn't touch on. But this was been fantastic, Joe. And I very much appreciate it. What is your Twitter handle yet again? If you guys didn't believe me at the beginning of the podcast, I assume you do now that you got to follow this dude.
0: Yeah, so my Twitter handle again is JonahTulsNFL. Find my Twitter. be posting all my uh, posting my articles on it from NDT. They be retweeting all the NDT stuff as well. So definitely follow me and follow the NDT account at NDT Scouting at, at NDT Scouting LLC. You'll find all the posts there from all our great staff members there as well. And again, thank you for having me on, Matt. And it's, it's a treat, and I can't wait to do it again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and his last name is T-U-L-S. Just to make it a little bit easier to search in case you were spelling it differently out there. Um, I assume you'll be at the Combine?
0: Uh, we'll see. We'll okay. see about it.
1: Because uh, Steeler Nation Radio sends me, so maybe we'll get together <laughs> if you're an indie. So that'd be great. Yep.
0: Sounds good, man. I can't wait. All right,
1: man. Thanks for coming on. Very much, very much appreciated. This was great. All right. Thank you, Matt. Jake Knapp is the inventor of the design sprint and the New York Times bestselling author of the book Sprint. He's also the co-founder of Character, a venture fund for early-stage startups.
0: How and why did you start using Miro? I came from this position of thinking, I don't want to be doing stuff online to thinking now when I do a sprint in person with a company, it's like, we're going to use Miro, even though we're all in the same room, because that's a better way for us to get this work done. As an investor, we're basically investing in their ability to solve problems. We're saying, we think this group of people is going to be able to solve a problem in a really great way and create value by doing it. But actually, you need to give people the tools that can help them make decisions, help them collaborate, help them visualize and see things in a different way. And Miro does all those things. So to me, at least as an investor, I'm thinking, give the team the tools that are going to help them think, that are going to make the most, brighten their their skills as smart folks. And Miro is at the top of that list for you.